All right, well, today we're going to continue in our series, Blessed. Uh, it's a series on the Beatitudes. We're going to look at the uh, fifth Beatitude, uh, which is in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there. It doesn't take long to read it, so, so you'll want to be ready. Um, and we'll get to that verse here in just a minute. Psalm 145.9 lets us know this. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Every one of us here today, every person in Pataskala, Ohio, everyone throughout our entire state, everyone in the United States, and everyone alive on planet Earth today, every single person is a recipient of God's mercy. Psalm 145.9 has no qualifiers. God is good to all, and His mercy is over all He has made. Every person alive today is a recipient of the mercy of God. And those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we understand in a very special way, in a, in a very unique way, how merciful that God is because we have experienced His mercy in a very unique and specific way that I'll talk about in a little while. The New Testament is very clear that God wants recipients of grace, uh, recipients of mercy, to be extenders of mercy. When He is merciful to us, He wants us to be merciful to other people. Actually, he doesn't just want us to be, but he expects us to be. And you're probably familiar with these verses in the Bible, but let me share a few verses in the Bible that tell us in pretty strong terms that God expects us to be merciful to other people. Here's the first one, James 2.13. It says this, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I thought you'd all cheer for that. <laughs> Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verses 12 and then 14 and 15 we, we find this. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is teaching us how to pray. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then when you get to verse 14 and 15, Jesus uh, explains some things. And he says, For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. One of those verses that never makes it to the refrigerator. Right, th right there. These verses make the point quite well that God expects those who have been recipients of mercy, to be extenders of mercy. What we've received from God, we are to freely give to other people. Mercy received is supposed to result in mercy being extended. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told a story, a parable, that really drives home the point of how much God cares about recipients of mercy being extenders of mercy. The parable is known as the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so Jesus told this story. It was of a king 
who wanted to settle the accounts that all of his servants had with him. So his servants owed him money and he wanted to get these accounts settled. And in doing so, he found that one of his servants owed him what the NIV says was 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, Some other translations say 10,000 talents. And just to give you a little perspective, one talent was worth 20 years of a day laborer's wages. And so this was 10,000 talents. Now, estimates range as to how much this really would have represented in today's money. And I will tell you, the ranges were like really broad. Made me think, what in the world are the scholars doing? Can't, can't they come to some better consensus than this? But I went with the low numbers. So the lowest amount that I found anyone say this might have been like in today's dollars was $12 million that uh, this man owed the king. And so the king wanted his $12 million, and he brought this servant and his wife and his children before him and and, uh, said that he needed his money, and and if they weren't going to pay up, then he was going to sell them to try to recoup some of his money. Probably not $12 million, but whatever he could could get from them. And uh, faced with this fate, the servant, we're told in the story, fell on his knees, He begged the king to be patient with him, and he promised that he would repay everything that he owed. So in the parable, the the king takes pity on the man. And instead of saying, okay, I'll give you time to, to repay what you owe, the king went way beyond that. He took pity on the man. He canceled his debt. And he let him go completely free. Can you imagine the joy that, would, that ought to take over your heart if you got set free from a $12 million debt? You'd think there would be a lot of gratitude flow out of that experience. But it wasn't to be so. Right after being forgiven of such an incredible debt, the parable goes that This servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him some money. Owed him 100 silver coins or 100 denarii. Uh, Again, estimates range as to what that would be in today's terms, but the one I went with was uh, said that it would be something like $20 in today's uh, terms. And so this servant demanded of his fellow servant that he repay him right now. And the man couldn't do it. And he became so angry that the man could not repay him the $20 that the parable says he started choking the man. The man begged for patience, but it was refused. And this servant had his fellow servant thrown into prison. Now other servants saw this happen. They knew what the man had been forgiven. They saw what he was doing to the fellow servant, and it, it outraged them. And so they went and reported him to the king who had forgiven him of the $12 million. And here's what we read about the king's response after these uh, fellow servants had, had reported the unmerciful servant. It's found in Matthew 18, verse 32. It says, Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant 
just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, I was thinking about that. I'm thinking, it's going to be hard to pay back while you're being tortured. So I'm wondering if he's just going to be tortured. I think that's what's going to happen. He's just going to be tortured. And after sharing the parable, Jesus said this in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So do we think that God might be serious about recipients of mercy becoming extenders of mercy? Again, every single person alive is a beneficiary of God's mercy because God is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. And again, those of us who have received Christ as Savior and Lord, we know God's mercy in a way that goes beyond the, the mercy that all of creation experiences. We've experienced the mercy of not having our sins counted against us. And what a wonderful mercy that is. God expects those who receive mercy to give mercy to others. Now, this really isn't, what I'm about to say really isn't um, like what I wanted to talk about in the sermon, but, but there's a common question that arises from these scriptures that I've read, this parable of the unmerciful servant that I've opened with today that, that I think I do need to take time to address, even though it sort of messes up a little bit of how I wanted to preach my sermon, but I, I feel like I need to talk about it. And, and that is the question, so in light of these things, does this mean that our salvation is tied to forgiving other people? I mean, at, at just face value, it kind of sounds like that might be what's being said. Do these verses teach that if we fail to show mercy to people, that we will not be saved? The way that I would answer that is to say that these verses do not indicate that our salvation is tied to being merciful uh, to others. It seems to me that that would mean that we would have to earn our salvation and that it wasn't actually by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And so I would say that the answer is no, it does not mean that. But I believe these verses do teach that failing to extend mercy can bring us under the discipline of the Lord. And I agree with William MacDonald who says that in the day when God judges all of us for the works that we have done in our lives, if that person has not been merciful to others, that person is not going to receive mercy in the evaluation of their works. And therefore their rewards in heaven are going to decrease accordingly. So I would agree with that. And so I believe these warnings apply in that way, but, they, but I do not believe that our salvation is tied to extending mercy to others. Though you could ask a legitimate question. If someone is unable to be an extender of mercy when they have been a recipient of God's mercy, it might be fair to ask whether or not that person has truly been born again. 
ever truly been regenerated, ever really received Christ as Savior and Lord and been filled with His Spirit because it, it certainly seems like a recipient of that kind of mercy and grace would be someone who from a heart of appreciation would be inclined to extend it to others. So, that was a bit of an aside, but a question that I felt needed to be addressed in relationship to these verses. So let's, let's move on. Because we have received mercy, God wants us to extend mercy. So what does it mean to be merciful? How is mercy defined? And like with, I think, all of the Beatitudes that we've looked at so far, you have to kind of dig a little bit to get the full meaning of, of these key words in the Beatitudes. If you dig into the meaning of the word that gets translated into English as merciful, you find a variety of meanings that, taken together, help us to, to really begin to get a grasp of what it means to be merciful. And so the first meaning of the word, merciful, is to withhold punishment. To withhold punishment. The, the king in the parable withheld punishment from the servant that deserved punishment. And so it's to withhold punishment. Uh, we, we know about this kind of mercy in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, we just dedicated children and I am sure that all of those parents have already done what I'm about to say. I think every parent here has done this. And that is from time to time we show mercy to our children. They do something that should require a punishment. And we instead withhold punishment. We show them mercy. Now if you do that every time, you're probably going to raise a brat. But, but from time to time, it is appropriate. I have probably shown mercy more than I should have in the raising of my own kids. But I am always clear to point out to them that they are the recipients of mercy. And I think it's a, it's a good thing. Not every time, but it's a good thing to withhold punishment every once in a while, to be merciful. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard it said that that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, withholding punishment, and then grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, forgiveness and eternal life. The Bible teaches that our sin has earned for us judgment and death. That's the punishment we deserve, but God does not punish us as we deserve. He is merciful to us as we turn to Him in faith. So to be merciful is to withhold punishment. Someone wrongs you. And not just like a little wrong, like they really wrong you. No one would blame you for writing them off. No one would blame you for talking bad about them. No one would blame you for being unkind to them or cutting them out of your life. But they come to you and they apologize. And even though the apology doesn't magically make the hurt that you felt go away, you choose in that moment to extend mercy you don't look for a way to punish them you don't look for a way to hurt them back you let them off the hook for the wrong you withhold punishment that's what being merciful is another meaning of the word merciful is simply to help those in need specifically to help those who cannot help themselves 
That's why helping the disadvantaged is often called a mercy ministry. Helping those who are not able to help themselves. We say that's a mercy ministry. It's coming alongside those who for whatever reason, maybe through no fault of their own, but maybe through some fault of their own, they are unable to provide for themselves in some way. You come alongside them and you help them. If you serve at a food pantry or when the church helps someone within our own family or within our community with basic needs that they're struggling to provide for themselves, that is a form of being merciful, helping someone who cannot provide for their needs. But the meaning of this word merciful extends beyond withholding punishment and it extends beyond helping those in need. It includes those things, but the word means more than that. William Barclay helps us here. He tells us that the word merciful includes the idea of, quote, getting inside another person so that we can see things with their eyes, think things with their minds, and feel things with their feelings. Being merciful is choosing to place yourself in another person's shoes. It is seeing things from their perspective. It's choosing to not be self-centered in how we relate to other people, including people who have wronged us, but instead putting ourselves in their position, understanding their experience, and allowing that understanding to motivate us toward withholding punishment, forgiving, and helping. Being merciful is having a tearful friend in front of you, apologizing for how they have wronged you. And instead of like rehashing everything that they did, or instead of rejecting their appeal for forgiveness, you allow yourself to see through their tears. You allow yourself to feel the regret that they're feeling. You allow yourself to imagine the fearful thoughts that they're going through the fear that you might reject them, and you imagine how you'd want someone to respond if you were having those thoughts, and if you were having those feelings. And so you quickly forgive. That's being merciful. Being merciful is having someone forget about a lunch appointment. And instead of writing them off as a hopeless loser, you put yourself inside their experience. You remember that they expressed to you a while back that they are overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed at work. They're overwhelmed at home. They're overwhelmed with life. And instead of reacting with an internal attitude that says, well, I'm done with them. You instead have thoughts like, well, I hope they're okay. And then you have thoughts like, how to pray for them. God, if they're overwhelmed again today, if that's why they're not here, then please strengthen them. Help them. Be with them now. Being merciful is seeing someone in financial need. And instead of assuming that they're in financial need because they're lazy, or instead of assuming that they're in financial need because, you know, like, there's just something deficient with them. 
You instead allow yourself to try to understand from their perspective. You get inside, you place yourself inside of their experience and you try to think through their history that you've heard them share. You remember setbacks that they've faced. You remember disadvantages that you can't relate to but that they've had to deal with. And instead of passing judgment, you decide that you're going to try to help them. That's being merciful. So being merciful is getting inside another person, seeing with their eyes, thinking with their thoughts, feeling with their feelings, which produces in us sympathy and compassion, which results in actions that are for the good of that person, actions like withholding punishment, actions like providing help to them. Knowing the definition of mercy is good, but it's even better to have an example of a merciful person that we can see and that we can emulate. And the greatest example of mercy that you'll ever find, do you know the answer? Is Jesus Christ. The greatest example of mercy you can ever find. As we just learned, to be merciful is to get inside another person, to see, think, and feel from their perspective. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for every single one of us here today. That's what the incarnation of Jesus was. God became one of us. God took on human flesh. God got inside of our experience. He robed himself in flesh. He became a man. He thought and felt and saw things from our perspective. Now, God knows everything. He, he knows absolutely everything. But in Christ, He not only knows everything about our experience, but He actually experienced everything that we experience in the same way that we experience it. So He doesn't just know it in that God knows everything. He, he entered into it and He truly experienced it, which is why the Bible is able to assure us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we have been tempted. He faced everything that we faced in life. Anything and everything in life that trips us up, anything and everything in life that causes us pain, God experienced that by becoming a man, entering into this world just like we do, and living in this world just like we do. He understands us. He is sympathetic toward us. He is compassionate toward us. Yes, because he's God and understands everything perfectly, but also because he lived what we live. He shared our experience, entered into our lives, got inside of us. God is merciful. He withholds punishment and he helps us in our need. So what have we learned? We've learned that God expects recipients of mercy to be extenders of mercy. We've learned that to be merciful is to get inside another person, see, think, and feel from their perspective, to withhold punishment, to help those in need. We've learned that Jesus is our example. We are to model our lives after Him. We learn from Him and model our lives after Him. 
And if we do that, there's a lot of good that results both for us and for those around us. When we put ourselves inside of another person's experience and we consider things from their perspective, see, think, and feel as they see, see, think, and feel, we are able then to become a blessing to that person. And I want to highlight a few ways that we're able to be a blessing to that person when we do this. The first one is this. Forgiveness and tolerance are much easier when we get inside another person's experience. We are able to bless people by being more forgiving of them and being more tolerant of them. It is much easier to forgive people. It is much easier to tolerate people when we choose to see things from their perspective. I've not always been successful at this. But I have a few times. I've had a few friends over the years who were EGR people. Extra grace required. To make it fit even more tidily with this message, we'll call them EMR people. Extra mercy required. There were things about their personalities that were sometimes annoying, off-putting, odd, tedious, I'm not talking about you, Amy. <laughs> just, just a joke. Just a little joke between friends. You all are like not sure it was okay to laugh at that, but it, it is. Amy's okay. I promise you, Amy's okay. In some cases, they had extreme insecurities that turned simple human interaction into a cause of drama. With what it required to be their friend, it would have been really easy to conclude that it was not worth it. And again, I haven't always been able to do this. But in the times when I was able to take the advice that I'm giving today based on the Word of God, and I was able to get inside them and remind myself of their life experiences and how those life experiences had shaped who they were, the childhood traumas that had set them up for the feelings of insecurity they had, the mistreatment at the hands of unkind people that had set them up for the social awkwardness that I was now seeing. When I would think about those things, it would become so much easier to be tolerant of them. I could become compassionate toward them, and I could actually come to appreciate them and enjoy them. That's mercy. That's mercy. Not writing someone off because they can be annoying, but understanding the why behind the annoying and accepting them and loving them and growing to enjoy them, even with the challenges. It's the same with forgiveness. I've stood in need of forgiveness many times and others have needed forgiveness from me. And I know it's always been easier to forgive if I allow myself to understand from the other person's perspective the pressures that set them up for wronging me in the way that they did. Now those pressures are never an excuse for, for what they did. We, we never have an excuse for wronging another person. So it's not an excuse. But it nevertheless does give us 
insight and understanding that there were factors at work that contributed to how the person acted. There were pressures in their life that set them up for those things. And so when we get inside another person's experience, we bless them by being quicker to forgive, and we bless them by becoming more tolerant of them when they're not at their best. Another way we bless people when we consider things from their perspective is that we avoid being kind in the wrong way. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll bet everyone here today has been the recipient of a kindness that was done in the wrong way, which ends up not being that kind, actually, when, when that happens. Um, I imagine most of you have had that experience. An example of this, I think you find in the story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament. Part of that story that we often miss is that Jesus was just a few days from the cross when that story took place. And, and uh, it's very likely that part of what Jesus was wanting to accomplish with that uh, time at the home of Mary and Martha was just being with some friends for some rest and relaxation and a, and a comfortable environment before what he was about to face. And what did Martha do? In her zeal to make everything right, she actually ended up creating a good deal of tension. She created tension between she and Mary. She created tension between she and Jesus to where Jesus eventually had to tell her, look, Mary is the one that's making the right choice here, and that's because she's just spending time with me. You're the one that's like messing this up by trying to have everything be so perfect. And so I, I think there's a possibility at least that Jesus knew what was coming. He just wanted some time with his friends. And Martha wasn't putting herself in the position of understanding the pressures and, the, and just the intensity of the pressure that Jesus was facing. Even if she didn't fully understand what was awaiting him, she knew that there was pressure on Jesus' life. And so she failed to put herself in, in his shoes and consider what might be helpful to him. You know that you have been on the receiving end of uh, kindness done the wrong way when someone says to you, I need to do that for you for myself. Excuse me? Come again? You need to what? You need to help me for you. Okay. That's a kindness. What they might have done might have actually been a kindness, but it's a kindness done in a wrong way. And most of us have seen that happen in our lives. Considering things from the other person's perspective helps us avoid making even our kindnesses really about us and allows us to make them about the person that needs the kindness. So when we consider things from other people's perspective, we bless them and we are blessed. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. I think there are two ways to understand the second part of the fifth beatitude, for they will be shown mercy, and I think that they're both true. The first is that when we show mercy to others, it increases the likelihood that others are going to show mercy to us when we stand in need of it. If, we see, uh, if people see that we care about them at their point of need, when they've messed up, when they've wronged us, when they're not at their best, then the odds are at least improved 
that they will respond in a caring way when we're not at our best, when we need mercy. And then the second way this is true is that the merciful receive mercy from God. I've pointed out multiple times in this message that everyone on earth is already on the receiving end of God's mercy because He is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. But for those of us who have received Christ as Savior, we have been shown a very specific mercy. For the whole world, punishment is withheld because Christ has not returned. And the day of judgment has not yet come upon us. But for those of us who have received Christ as Savior and Lord, punishment has been withheld for us forever. Forever. Because we have accepted Christ's sacrifice. We have received Him as Savior and Lord. We have received God's mercy of not giving us what we deserve. And for those of us who have been recipients of that kind of mercy, if we now will commit ourselves to follow Christ's example, if we will commit ourselves to extend mercy to others, then a lot of great things happen for us. We avoid the heartache of the discipline that we could find ourselves under if we continue to act in unmerciful ways. And here's another thing that I believe happens. We can look forward to the day when God judges our works. Knowing that those who are merciful to others will be shown mercy in the day of judgment. Now listen, I'm thankful for the knowledge that I am saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful it does not hinge on my performance. But I do believe that all of us will be judged on our performance. You know, gold, silver, precious jewels, wood, hay, stubble. The, the fire of God's judgment gets applied to those things. We see what lasts. I'm expecting to need mercy when that occurs. And knowing you all, I, I think you're going to need mercy when that occurs. And so when we are merciful to others, we are sure that God will be merciful to us. Blessed are those who get right inside other people until they can see with their eyes, think with their thoughts, and feel with their feelings. For those who do that will find that others do the same for them and will know that that is what God in Jesus Christ has done. Let's stand. Oh, oh, you're my redeemer.